she herself is a quadriplegic. Uh, she was injured when she uh, had just graduated high school before college and uh, has used her faith in Christ to propel her to be strong in the Lord and to share that with other people. Uh, the ministry of Johnny and Friends, uh, I want to start with because I'm looking at, at what is your core values, and I think today's message and the, and the key to today's message, as well as Johnny and Friends, they line up very well. So the mission of Johnny and Friends is to glorify God as we communicate the gospel and mobilize the global church to evangelize, disciple, and serve people with disabilities. So we are about glorifying God first and foremost. Secondly, we are about proclaiming who Jesus is, the gospel of Jesus, the saving work that Jesus did on the cross. And then, how do we mobilize the church, the church here in Albuquerque, as well as the church worldwide, to evangelize and disciple those affected by disabilities? In today's passage, we're going to talk about that. You see, nearly a million people around the world are affected by disability. Disability is an equal opportunity uh, for, for people because it crosses every continent, every culture, every language, uh, gender, you name it. People affected by disabilities are scattered across the world, and they are the poorest of the poor. And so oftentimes, people affected by disabilities struggle to live their lives with pain and despair, with loneliness, with isolation. And so we at Johnny and Friends are committed to bringing the gospel and practical resources to people affected by disabilities. So back um, in 1998, Debbie heard Johnny on the radio. I don't know if you've heard Johnny on uh, some of her, her radio spots. But they were asking for physical therapists to go and help distribute wheelchairs. And so I signed up as a physical therapist, and I went to Romania. And I was part of a team that brought wheelchairs. We individually fitted these chairs to children and adults affected by disabilities and shared the gospel, shared Bibles with them, connected with them with the church. And that 14-day outreach changed my life and changed Debbie's life. We came back and said, this is what we have to do. And so we started serving families with disabilities, collecting wheelchairs here there in Albuquerque, and it's funny, I say here, uh, Rio Rancho was actually my home. I was sharing with Craig. Craig recognized my name. We, we go way back. So in 1969, I moved to Rio Rancho um, as a young child. Um, and there were 100 families living in Rio Rancho. Uh, now there's 100,000 plus people living in Rio Rancho. So this is you know, my hometown uh, in, in, in some regards. Uh, but uh, we started serving in Albuquerque the families, the churches. Uh, and that grew for us to then go to Peru and taking wheelchairs and serving families in the church in Peru and then Argentina and to Chile. And uh, I recall in, in 2010, Debbie and I were, were asked by Johnny and friends, we want you to hold a pastor's conference in Peru. And we've just come out with this curriculum called Beyond Suffering. And we'd love to, for you guys to do a conference. And so I'm thinking pastor's conference, maybe a dozen, two dozen pastors get together and, and do a, a conference. But God had bigger plans. He opened up the opportunity to speak to 
an entire denomination of pastors. There are going to be 350 pastors at a three-day conference. And I'm thinking, wow, that's a game changer for me. I don't know if I'm equipped for that. But that's where God shows up strong is when we feel unable to do the work because we want to give him the glory. So I reached out to a friend of mine, a pastor at Johnny and Friends, and said, help me, what is the best way that I can communicate to these pastors in this, in this day's conference? And what he said to me was, share the heart of the Father. Share the heart of the Father for those affected by disabilities. And so that's what I hope to do today, is to be able to share the Father's heart. Because in doing that at that conference, I not only got to speak to 350 pastors, uh, and Debbie was able to share her testimony, but we got to speak to like a 1,000 lay leaders, giving the Father's heart to them. And it transformed this denomination. It, John, the Beyond Suffering material was allowed to be taught in their seminary. Now it's required training for every pastor who graduates. Serving people with disabilities is key to who the church is in this denomination in Peru. It changed the church. It's changed the culture. Now, I don't know you growing up, if you have like family sayings that have been passed down from generation to generation. Uh, Debbie's grandmother, who unfortunately I never got to meet, uh, had a saying, a, a dicho, uh, and, and that was, show me your friends and I'll tell you who you are. And we use this with our son growing up to say, hey, you know, who you hang out with, who you consider your friends, really is, is telling as far as what your character is and what direction you're going. Well, you know, you can judge a lot about a person based on who they associate with. And the character of Christ and his earthly ministry were marked by his involvement in the lives of those who suffer disability. Throughout the Gospels, we see time and time again, Jesus filled with compassion of those stricken by disability. In Matthew, it, it, it's written, moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. You see, Jesus had compassion for those that suffered. There's 42 different accounts in the Gospels of Jesus healing the sick and the disabled. In fact, when, when the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus asking, are you the Messiah? This is what, if you want to change the slide, this is what was written. Um, he replied to them, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. You see, Jesus made those that suffer disability a priority in his life. And he directs us to do the same. Today's passage in Luke 14, Christ gives specific instruction to, to us about our personal lives and the work of the church. You see, disability, and I'm so glad to see so many kids uh, so many families affected by disability today here in this church. I know, uh, Pastor Matt, you've got a heart for that. But disability comes in many, um, in many shapes, in many sizes, and many names. But disability is not so much a condition. 
People affected by disability first are people. And I want to share with you just a couple of my friends, because I think this will help you understand what our lives are like. Um, I want to tell you about Daniel. And I'm going to talk about Daniel throughout today's message. But Daniel was a young boy. He was about five years old when he first came to uh, a VBS that we held for special needs families. Uh, and he lived to the age of about 22 before he went home with the Lord. And I was fortunate enough to be able to, to, to give the message uh, at, his, at his home sending uh, his funeral service. But Daniel had a chromosomal defect, uh, which left him physically impacted as well as behaviorally impacted. So he had a lot of autistic type tendencies. And I don't know if you're familiar with, with individuals with autism, but uh, he had fixation on time. He didn't like change. He would pace up and down and had a lot of behavioral problems and outbursts. Uh, but Daniel also had some physical limitations that eventually took his life. His kidneys were involved. And at age 22, he went home to the Lord. But Daniel had great impact on Debbie's and my life and great impact in our church. And I'm going to be telling you more about that. Another good friend of ours, his name is Blaze. Blaze, at the age of 17, broke his neck playing high school football. And you may think, you know, disability, my life is going good. But in an instant, it can change. And that happened to this young man. At 17, he broke his neck uh, very high in that he had no movement whatsoever in his arms. He could move his neck. He controlled his wheelchair with a straw. If he would sip or you know, sip in or blow out, he could adjust what his chair would do. He was totally dependent on others. Well, Blaze didn't let that stop him. He had a strong faith in God. He graduated high school. He graduated college went to graduate school, had two master's degrees, came to Albuquerque to work at Sandia National Laboratories. That's where he met Debbie. Blaze became our friend. Not being able to do anything for himself, we became one of his team that would go to his home and help feed him. So we took our son. We'd go, not just help feed him, we would cook with him because he was a great cook. Now, he didn't move his hands, but he was directing us what to do to cook his meals. And so he became part of our life. Now, Blaze later on, got married, had a son of his own, Nathan. Nathan was born with Down syndrome. Blaze, my age, went home to the Lord probably about 15 years ago. But Nathan continues to come to our family retreats. Even though they moved out of state, Patricia and Nathan come. What a great example of, of a family who's impacted our lives and, and, and someone that trusts in the Lord. Another two quick examples. I want to tell you about Alex and Josh. So Josh is, is Alex's dad. Josh is a veteran, and he suffers. He's disabled, suffers PTSD. And, and Alex was born with a condition called Rett syndrome. Alex is totally immobile. She does have some functional movement. She's nonverbal. But if you look at her eyes, you can see that she's aware of what's going on around her. And so, you know, everyone that we work with, with Johnny and friends. We're called to share Jesus Christ to them, regardless of what we think they can understand or what they can say. And Josh was, was dedicated to share who Christ was. And Alex made a profession of faith. Using a communication board, she agreed who Jesus was and agreed that she accepted him into her heart. And our church was able to celebrate her baptism. And lastly, quickly, I want to tell you about Nancy. Nancy is a dear friend of Debbie's. See, Johnny 
Not only is Johnny a quadriplegic, Johnny suffers from chronic pain, as do many. And so Debbie, along with Nancy and Johnny and others, are part of this pain pal group. And they come together and they encourage one another in God's word. They help support each other emotionally and spiritually. Well, Debbie struck up a relationship with Nancy. Nancy lives in Denver. And so we had an opportunity to go out to Denver on our way to seeing our son in Indiana. And so we stopped over for several days. And we went because Nancy's husband, her caregiver, because Nancy has chronic pain and can't even get out of bed more than just a few minutes. And so knowing that her husband was going to have surgery, we chose to go up there and help make some meals because she didn't have a church community around her. So we went shopping, cooked some meals, spent some time with them. They have been good friends. Now, I share this with you for the purpose is because the face of disability is your neighbor, is your daughter's classmate, is your coworker, your acquaintance at the gym, and your friend's aunt in a nursing home. See, disability is all around us. But many times, we don't know anyone with a disability. But in reality, we do know families affected by disability. See, disability impacts between 12 and 15% of the people living in Rio Rancho. And so that's about 12 to 15,000 people in your city have a disability, not counting their families. But they're not in our churches. And so there's opportunity, we are not just an opportunity, we're called to bring them in. Because disability, and I'm looking at your core values, that I can't do life alone. You see, disability often brings isolation and pain, loneliness, endless medical appointments, dependence, stress, exhaustion, depression, hopelessness. You see, what's needed is hope. What's needed is Jesus Christ. And that's what we, the church, are called to do. Because the only true hope that can be provided, people who suffer, is Jesus Christ. So Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, hope is what we get when we are believers. Because we don't depend on the next new therapy, the doctor, the medication. We have our hope in Jesus Christ. We have a hope that, that will fill us with joy and peace because the Holy Spirit is in us. And we, the church, need to be that fountain of hope for those that are around us. So we are called as a church to represent the Father's heart. So my hope and prayer today is to show you the Father show you his love and compassion, his purpose and priorities for those affected by disabilities, and how we, his church, should respond to reflect the heart of God. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Luke 14, starting in verse 1. The Father has a heart of compassion for those with disabilities. So let me set the stage here. So Jesus is already making waves uh, with the Pharisees and the Sadducees because they are looking at what he's doing and saying and they're saying, this guy is rogue. This guy has nothing like the religion that we are teaching. Well, of course he's different because he represents the Father. And so Jesus is invited to the home of a leading Pharisee. So think, think about this. This is Sabbath, the Sabbath. There's a dinner. The house is filled with, with other Pharisees and teachers of the law, and Jesus is there, and maybe with some of his disciples. 
and they're watching him carefully. So let's read, starting, and we're going to read 1 through 6. On the Sabbath, when he went in to eat at the house of one of the leading Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. There in front of him was a man whose body was swollen with fluid. In response, Jesus um, asked the law experts and the Pharisees, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. He took the man, healed him, and sent him on his way. And to them he said, which of you whose son or ox falls into a well will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? They could not find an answer to these things. See, what stands out in this first section of this passage is Jesus is healing on the Sabbath. Now, all four Gospels have accounts of Jesus healing on the Sabbath, so it must be important for it to be mentioned four times, and actually four different individuals are healed. There's a man with a withered hand, there's a woman disabled by a spirit, a man born blind, and here we see a man with a condition called dropsy, or the swelling of the body, that Jesus heals on the Sabbath. So the question is, why is it important, so important that we see it four times, that Jesus heals someone on the Sabbath? Well, it highlights the Father's priority and compassion for those that suffer disabilities. You see, Jesus is calling out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees because they were looking at this, and earlier in the, in the 13th chapter of Luke, Jesus heals on the Sabbath, and you know, uh, the Pharisees are like, why are you doing this on the Sabbath? There are, there are seven days in the week. You know, leave the Sabbath for the Sabbath, heal on those other days, and Jesus is saying no. It's the Father's heart to show compassion as soon as we can. And so he was calling out the hypocrisy of how the Pharisees prioritized the law over love. You know, they were perversing the law of Moses, condemning Jesus for working on the Sabbath when the Father says, my priority is showing compassion for all. He also shines light on their dark and hardened hearts towards those that suffer disability. You see, in that culture, and in cultures around the world, people with disabilities are the outcasts. They live outside mainstream. They're often considered untouchable. Their, their disability is considered a consequence of sin. They're unredeemable. You see, they weren't welcome in the temple people with disabilities. And they weren't even welcome in the city, so they lived in the outskirts. But Jesus is calling out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, who showed more care and compassion for an ox that may fall in a well than for someone with a disability. You see, in contrast, Jesus reflects the Father's heart to embrace, console, heal, forgive, and redeem those who live whose lives are affected by disability. You see, the Father's heart is all about reaching the lost and reaching those that suffer with disabilities. So what is stopping us, his church, you individually, from living a life of compassion for those that suffer disability? It's not likely religious legalism like it was for, for the Pharisees, but is it ignorance? Is it misplaced priorities? Is it inconvenience or fear? or lack of knowledge and understanding. Regardless the reasons, as God's ambassadors, we are called to reflect the Father's heart, a heart of compassion for those that suffer. 
disability. So my question is, as you reflect on today's message, as God's ambassador, what's stopping us from reflecting the Father's heart of compassion for those that suffer disability? So what does compassion look like? Well, it's not pity. Oh, I feel sorry, and I'm glad it's not me. It's empathy, understanding the pain and suffering, walking alongside them. It's not a service project. You know, there's some churches that say, oh, well, we'll do something special, this one occasion, for people with disabilities to kind of check the box. You know, Debbie and I happened to go to a church in Albuquerque that would host um, dances for young adults with special needs. And so we decided, you know what, we should check this out. So we went, and the gymnasium was just full of tables and volunteers, and, and these young people were brought in from, uh, from uh, residential care facilities, and there was a DJ playing, and they were dancing, and having a great time. And the volunteers were earnestly loving on these kids, which was so great. And so I asked one of the leaders, I said, so how many of these kids come to church on Sunday? How many are involved in, in small groups? How many are serving? your church. And there was just like a blank look on my face. Because they looked at this as an opportunity to serve them, but never considered, how do we include them? You see, sharing the love and compassion of the Father without the saving grace of Jesus Christ provides only temporary mercy. Let me repeat that. Sharing the love and compassion of the Father without the saving grace of Jesus Christ provides only temporary mercy. Because we will all die. Everyone Jesus healed eventually died. But Jesus didn't come just to heal. Jesus came to save. And so understanding and accepting Jesus in our lives is the only way that we can have eternal peace and salvation. And so by just loving on someone but failing to tell them who Jesus was is only meeting a temporal need and not meeting that eternal need. And I look again at, at, at what you say is your core values and save people, serve people, but found people, find people. Because we must go out and find those affected by disabilities and share the hope that we have in our heart with them. So compassion is empathy. Compassion is coming alongside, walking alongside someone in their journey, sharing, yes, the love of Christ, but then sharing the hope of Christ with them, providing community. As you say, evangelize, disciple, give them opportunities to serve because everyone is given a gift of service. Let's continue in looking at Luke 14. The Father has a heart for the humble. Starting in verse 7, he told a parable to those that were invited when he noticed how they would choose the best seats for themselves. When you're invited by someone to a wedding banquet, don't sit in the place of honor because a more distinguished person than you may come and be invited by your host, the one who invited both of you to come. And say to you, give your place to this place to this man, and then you'll be humiliated. You will proceed to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit at the lowest place so that when, you, uh, when the one who invited you comes, he will say to you, friend, move up higher. You will then be honored in the presence of all of the other guests. 
For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, it's funny. Debbie and I went to a wedding of a friend. His son was getting married, and it was an outdoor wedding. And so there's there's, there's two, uh, a, a main aisle for the bride to walk down, and then two sets of chairs, uh, or rows of chairs. And the aisle was beautifully decorated with, with candles and flowers. And it's like, well, I can't move a chair uh, like we did here to find a space. So we sat around the outside. But as we're looking, there weren't any open seats um, on the outside except for the way front or the way back. And so we went to the second row, which was empty, and sat down. And we're you know, chit-chatting as we're waiting for everything to take place. And then we recognize, oh, wait a second. These might be reserved. Now, there wasn't an usher. There was no sign on the seats. Uh, but we said, these are probably reserved. So I'll just grab a chair from the back, put it next to the third row on the outside. And that way, Debbie can see. And we'll sit there. And after we repositioned, we looked at each other. And we both smiled. And we said, Luke 14. Uh, here we were you know, taking a place of honor when really we shouldn't. Now, that was accidental. What Jesus is saying, the intentionality of being prideful, of looking for the best place. So let's continue. Uh, uh, no, sorry, no, continue. Uh, so his message about pride and humility was not new to the Pharisees. I mean, throughout the Old Testament, we see how God hates the proud and he exalts the, uh, the humble. You know, uh, Jeremiah, we read, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. God the Father, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For these things I delight, declares the Lord. And in James, it's written, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. See, this was nothing new to the Pharisees, but rather it was highlighting the Father's heart for the humble, both as it relates to accepting his Son as the Messiah, and as it relates to the Father's love for those impacted by disability. So Jesus is telling us to live life that gives God the glory and not ourselves. And that starts with accepting Christ as our own personal Savior, putting aside our pride to be able to do that. And it's about drawing attention to God and all that we do and not ourselves. You know, uh, a quick story. In serving in Peru, there was a young, uh, uh, there was a, a, uh, a volunteer who'd come year after year. And we called him the, 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 uh, the gatekeeper in that he would keep away the families coming from all the wheelchairs. You see, we would have stacks and stacks of wheelchairs, hundreds of wheelchairs that we would distribute. And oftentimes, a family would come, and they'd be eyeing all the wheelchairs and wanting to pick, oh, yeah, this pink one would be great for my daughter. But the pink one doesn't fit your daughter. And so then the therapist has to have this conversation about what's going to be best. And so he was a great servant. And Debbie has a heart of encouragement. And so she'd make the rounds, and she'd talk to, come up to Luis and say, Luis, you're doing a great job. Thank you so much for what you're doing. And Luis would just point upward. And that was common of our friends in Peru, is that whenever you would thank them or we'd give them praise, they would just point upward and say, glory to God. It's not me, but God working through me. And that's the same that he wants for us to do as well. 
You see, we have to be completely humble to serve. Ephesians, we read, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Oftentimes we serve beyond our own capacity. We serve in ways we didn't really expect. God wants to use us and to, and to stretch us and grow us. And so sometimes serving, we have to be very humble. And a pastor, you think, oh, I'm a pastor, I lead a flock, came to serve at our outreach. And he's visiting with these individuals coming for wheelchairs. And people with disabilities in Peru, uh, they're not well-dressed, they smell, they're not very clean, um, because they don't have anything. And he noticed that this, this individual's fingernails were really long. He didn't have a nail clip. And so he pulls out of his pocket a nail clip and he starts clipping their, their fingers, fingernails. And he thought, how humbling it is to clip someone's fingernails. But then that reminds me of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. Another very humbling act. And Jesus said to his disciples, go and do the same. So here's this pastor serving, sharing the love, clipping someone's fingernails. Nothing was beneath him. So we have to be humble in how we serve as well. Next, Luke 12 through 14. Let's continue reading. He also said to the one who had invited him, when you give a lunch or dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors, because they may invite you back and you would be repaid. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. You see, Jesus is speaking directly to the lead Pharisee, the head of the Pharisees. And he's very specific about his reference to those with disabilities. The poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. You know, I said earlier, a million people around the world are affected by disabilities. And they are the world's poorest of the poor. They are the outcasts. So Jesus is saying, invite these outcasts into your life for lunch, for dinner. You see, mealtime in that culture, mealtime for our culture is very personal. I mean, Debbie and I love to host people in our home for dinner, for lunch. I'd rather have someone in my home than go out to a restaurant because you can just sit down, lay back, and share life to one, with one another. It's personal inclusion. And God wants personal inclusion in our own lives with those impacted by Jesus. You see, Jesus wants from you relationship and not religion. And he wants us to demonstrate relationship with others and not religion. Likewise, Jesus calling us to a way of life and not just a ministry opportunity. How are our lives, how are your lives marked by individuals impacted by disability? You see, we're called to reflect the Father's heart. Daniel and his family came over for dinner one night. We invited them for dinner, and uh, they said, are you sure? We never get invited for dinner. You know, Daniel has some behavioral challenges, and I said, don't worry about it. Have him come on over. So we're sitting at the table. Daniel sits at the table for no more than just a couple minutes, and then he starts wandering around the house, turning on and off all the light switches. 
And then he'd come back and turn them off, and they'd come back and turn them on. And he was constantly asking his mom, Mama, what time is it? Is it time to go? Mama, what time is it? I mean, constantly. And Debbie and I are just kind of oblivious to that, sharing with his parents. But it's inviting them into your home that you will be blessed. You know, I, I got to lead a, a men's group a few weeks back in July um, at Johnny and Friends. We do a family retreat where we invite families impacted by disabilities. We have volunteers, some from your church, that come and serve these families. And for a week, they're there to enjoy the outdoors, to get fed God's word, as well as uh, participate in um, outdoor activities. And in the men's group, a comment was made that was echoed, actually, by a dear pastor friend of mine from Johnny and Friends. And the comment was, my kids with disabilities never get invited to a party. You see, Pastor Steve's son, uh, Caleb, had a younger brother. And his younger brother got always invited to the birthday parties growing up. But Caleb never did. And it speaks a lot of how they're viewed by people. Maybe his son's not good enough or not welcomed. But one day, an invitation came in the mail for Caleb, and, and Steve and Melissa cried that someone wanted Caleb in their home. Someone wanted Caleb as part of their life. And so that is what God is asking us to do as well. How can we be inclusive of people with disabilities? And it changes not just your life when you do that. It changes the culture of the body of Christ, the church. You see, Daniel, um, Daniel um, would be in the youth group. And the youth pastor, and he had a great, great relationship. But one day, Pastor Aaron was speaking um, in the main sanctuary. And so unbeknownst to his parents, Daniel follows him over to the main sanctuary and is walking around, pacing up and down the aisles of the church. And his parents look on with kind of this horror in their eyes. Oftentimes, uh, families, they look for the nearest exit when they sit down. They look for, well, OK, how do I get out of the situation if something's happening with my child to be a least you know, obstructive? And so here's Daniel walking up and down the church, uh, making comments back to Aaron as he's preaching. Um, the church just kind of carries on with that. And afterwards, one of the church members comes up to uh, his parents and says, we are so glad you guys are part of our church. You are a blessing to us. Totally relieved the tension, the stress, the anxiety that they had. Because someone said, we love you. We want you here, regardless of what's going on. That reflects the Father's heart. You see, when we invite people with disabilities into our lives, into our churches, the Bible tells us that we'll be blessed. Let's continue on reading in the 14th chapter, starting with verse 15. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now kind of picture this. Jesus is just telling these parables, which are going over their heads, about your pride and your priorities and involvement with people with disabilities. And he, this guy says, hey, won't it be great when I get to heaven and eat at the great banquet? And so Jesus is thinking, you know, well, we're, we can think is that, wow, 
the pride and the arrogance of this individual, the pride and the arrogance of the Pharisees to think that they so boldly can say, my religion is going to get me to heaven. And, God, and Jesus is saying, hey, I've got another story for you. Let's continue in verse 16. Then he told them, a man was giving a large banquet, invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who were invited, come, because everything now is ready. But without exception, they began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I've bought a field, and I must go see it. And I asked it to excuse me. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. I ask you to excuse me. Another said, I just got married, and therefore I'm able to come. Jumping down to verse 24. Jesus has finished his parable and now speaks directly to the Pharisees, and it reads, For I tell you, not one of those people who were invited will enjoy the banquet. You see, the Father's heart rejects the proud. And they were so prideful in believing that their religion was going to get them into heaven. But they rejected the Messiah who was right there before him. So our pride and our arrogance can sometimes prevent us from seeing who Jesus really is. You see, the way to heaven is not through ourselves, not through what we do, not through what church we go to or through religion, but it's, it's through Jesus Christ. Pride can keep us from a true relationship with Jesus. Do you believe that you're good enough to get into heaven? Well, Jesus tells us that we're not. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Do you believe that you are too sinful to be forgiven? Jesus says that you're not. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you believe that there are many paths to God? Jesus says that you're wrong. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you believe that, that um, you have all the answers? Jesus says you don't, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are my ways your ways. You see, pride can keep us from admitting our need for a Savior. The Son of God came to save. The Son of God came to save everyone, able-bodied and disabled. In fact, there's a saying in Johnny and Friends, if you live long enough, we're all temporarily able-bodied. Because if you live long enough, you're going to have some disability uh, in your life. But we all must accept who Jesus Christ is and accept him as our Savior. And that's why at Johnny and Friends, we don't let pride, we don't let arrogance keep us from sharing who Jesus Christ is. Back up to verse 21. So the servant came back and reported these things to the master. Then in anger, the master of the house told his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys in the city and bring in the poor, the maimed, the blind, and the lame. Master, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, and there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out into the highways and the hedges and make them come in so that my house is full. Notice Jesus repeats himself. He says, I want you, tells the Pharisees, I want you to have personal inclusion with the poor, the maimed, the blind, and the lame. And now in this parable, He's saying to his servant, go out into the highways and byways, to the hedges and the city outskirts, and to bring in quickly the poor, the maimed, the blind, 
and the lame. You see, many families have been rejected by the church. Disability is messy. Disability is hard. Doesn't fit the cookie cutter of when to stand and sit and be quiet and all the rest. It's messy. And so Debbie, we were doing this vacation Bible school, and Debbie had to convince families, come to this vacation Bible school. And they say, no, we've been rejected. We've been hurt. We're not welcomed there. And, and, and she said, no, this will be different because it reflected the Father's heart. And it was different. So why is the church rejecting those who need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ? The hurt, the rejected. Is it ignorance? Is it being ill-equipped? Is it hardened hearts? We are to go and bring them in. See, we're not only we're supposed to go quickly and find them and bring them in, and again, Found people, find people. We have to find them. The father is instructing his servants to go quickly into the streets and alleys of the city and bring in the poor, the maimed, the blind, and the lame. You know, it's not enough just to have handicapped parking spaces. It's not enough just to have wide doors or bathrooms that work and expect people with disabilities to come in. We have to go. And so I, I loved what, what Pastor Matt said, is that we have to go and, and, and bring them, find them, Go and serve. Tell them the good news. Bring them into the community. And so the challenge that he's giving is the same challenge that I'm reiterating here, is that we have to do that. It takes intent and effort to bring people with disabilities into your church. It takes convincing.